this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this time last year, we were talking about the band union. This year, thanks to our patron, we're going in a different direction. So the union brought us union. But the union is going in a different direction uh, with uh, the pick. And and that union member is joining us. You know him from such episodes as the Dig self-titled episode with Scott Hackwith, uh, Collective Souls Discipline Breakdown, Local H's Pack Up the Cats, The Verve Pipes Villains, Not a Surf's Proximity Effect, Violetine's Small Speaker Joyride. He's back again welcome back dewey cole how you doing dewey hey man that list is getting really long and i'm just one guest you are it just shows how many episodes there's there have been over the past is it 11 or 12 years now uh 40 years we've done 40 years of episodes <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah 40 years we are in the midst of our 13th so we're like 13, half, 13 we're halfway years. through almost halfway through the 13th season of this particular uh podcast which is it's a lot of episodes. You guys ever go episodes. back and listen to any early ones and cringe? No, God, no. I think yeah. Tim has, but I, I, I won't. Um, we, it used to be really short, right? If we're doing something relevant to the podcast we're doing currently, I will go back. Like when we did Jets to Brazil recently, I went back and listened a little bit to our Jawbreaker episode because of the connection. And I've done that with other episodes where we there's something connecting up to an old episode. Usually it's a bad idea that i that i listen to it uh because we sound like we're on helium yeah there's a lot of artists that when they they they've told me that they don't listen to their old records because they sound like like you know just like you said helium or like little kids when they're singing Mm -hmm. so so for this year for 2023 let's, let's use our deep rich voices tell us about what you're bringing to the podcast uh for this so, year what's your pick dewey let everybody know so i decided to pick a late 90s favorite of mine uh oleander their major label debut february sun and i remember this record yes i remember this really really big single really big yep. single that summer why i'm here that was the big single i don't remember if i ever saw the video because i don't think i was watching mtv at this point trl had taken over and the Backstreet Boys run every week and what have you. So I was pretty much done with MTV by the end of the nineties, but I definitely remember this getting played on the radio. Jay, do you remember this band and this, the single? I remember the name and I remember the album cover and I had a general idea what they sounded like, but I can't say I remember the song. I honestly got them confused when you suggested the record for like 30 seconds. I was like a Conaline crush. Like, cause there was like these bands at the end of the decade that had these names that I didn't really mean anything. Like <laughs> I, I, they were just, there was just albums constantly coming out. Yeah. So there's a bunch of records where I get them all mixed up. Like what was the single for that record? And 
Okay. It's funny you mentioned the video because just earlier today, I've been trying to put myself like in an Oleander mood today. Like I've been listening to Oleander, trying to like get ready for the recording. And I went to go find the video for the, for, um, for that song, um, why I'm here. And I couldn't find the actual video on YouTube. And, and there was some, there was a link that said official video. So I'm like, well, this has to be it. So I clicked on it and it's some like homemade eight millimeter crappy something someone that something put together that wasn't clearly the video and i'm like well this wasn't the video so i couldn't even find a record of the video anywhere online i do remember the video for i walk alone which was the next single and i do remember the video for boys don't cry but i don't remember why i'm here so who knows it's got to be out there somewhere well maybe you should have visited angelfire.com backslash or backslash oleander backslash because the first oleander fan site is still available for you to check out oh my god really? angel fire angel fire still exists angel fire still exists wow. and i'm pretty sure it's going it's like to outlast us all yeah like when when humanity is gone and i am looking up iteration looking up that of, page right now oh my whoever, god you're right is it's still the there next generation of humanity uh <laughs> in ten thousand fifty thousand years whatever they're gonna log on to our websites and go Angel Fire. That must have been the most powerful website because it's still around. <laughs> It'll oh be our Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls. The whole it's so yes. funny looking at it. It clearly was built in the 90s, like in 99, 2000. Oh, yeah. I took an HTML class in, yeah. in 1998, and I'm pretty sure I built something similar to this. Because it's got like the sidebar with the scroller thing that you can you can scroll and it has the advertisement, build a free website of your own on Angel Fire. I wonder if you can still build an Angel Fire website. Who would do that in 2023? Me. That would be like a fun experiment. Yeah, I'm gonna try. We should build a fan website for Dig Me Out on like Angel Fire or Tripod, but make it look like it's from the 90s. Oh man, that's funny. They that's... actually have yeah, they have like a fan board and tour dates. They were all about it. Yeah, I bet the person who built this doesn't even know it's still there. That would be weird if um yeah. If you built a website and then it just lived out, it outlived you. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I know from the local H world, there were like a bunch of websites that um, unfortunately there's a couple people that are no longer with us that still exist in dark corners of the internet, you know, like tour histories and things like that. Yes. So what do you know of the history of Oleander Dewey? Well, um, I can give you my history and then I can tell you what I know about them. So I okay. know they released I know they released an indie record called Shrinking the Blob prior to this one, mm -hmm. which came out, I'd have to Google it, but I think it came out like one or two years prior, maybe three years prior. Two. And okay, two years. Thank you, Tim, for the correction. Mm -hmm. And I got that later as I became a fan. I got that like in 2001. I found a copy of it. Um, and that's got a lot of the same tracks and it's got a couple others that didn't make this record but essentially they got signed and then they re-recorded all the songs that were on shrinking the blob including the title track and it's on the debut is that what you, what you found yes yeah it was released uh, i think it was self-released essentially um july of 97 is when shrinking the blob came out and uh they had done an ep in 96 but basically the songs from the ep were put on the album and they got this like to they got shrinking the blob to k 98 krxq which um played them like it, it got them some local airplay 
And then they ended up opening for Sugar Ray. <laughs> Back when Sugar Ray was a, was a rock band, maybe. It was a huge deal. I mean, they were yeah. by the in the late 90s, it was a huge deal. And then so they opened for them and somebody from a record label came out and was like, oh, that, you guys are pretty good. Let's uh, let's get you signed up. So they sounded Universal Republic. And that's where uh, February Sun was released in February of 1999 that is appropriate album title for the uh, time of which it was released it did go gold in the u.s it went to one fifth number 115 on the u.s chart and number one on the u.s heat seeker chart it was followed this, that was just to jump in this might be one of the last post-grunge bands that got signed and had a successful single like if you think about the time 1999 yeah. that was pretty much the end of it because oh, at yeah. that time you know all the the new metal and the uh, those types of bands were taking over the radio. So this might may have been one of the last ones that made it out of that out of that era. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. For sure. Uh, the follow up Unwind was released in two thousand one. That actually that actually also was released on Universal Republic. Um, that sold about four hundred thousand copies. Two years later, they released Joyride in two thousand three. That was released. Um, on sanctuary records um also sold roughly around four hundred thousand. they broke up then got back together and they released something beautiful in 2013 so do you know are they still an active band or are they uh, so i know they're active i know they're active on twitter um when unwind had its 20th anniversary two years ago Mm -hmm. i made a post about it because i actually love that record more than this one and more than the third one. I love Unwind. So I, I, I made my own post like this 20 years of one of my favorite records. And they actually wasn't even, they weren't even aware of it. They saw my post and had to make their post based on what they saw from me, which I thought was funny. So they're still active on social media. Uh, as far as playing shows, they'll do like a pop-up festival gig in California, like in the Sacramento area, Sacramento area once in a while. Um, I don't remember the last one. It's probably been a few years. So there's still a band, but not really. They haven't toured since 2014. I think they toured with Three Doors Down maybe that year. Okay. Um, but yeah, they really haven't toured and they haven't released a record since Something Beautiful. So they're kind of inactive, but they still pop up on social media. So the band actually formed, well, I shouldn't say the band formed. The two guys who would make up the band originally, uh, Thomas Flowers, singer and guitarist, bassist Doug Elridge, met in 1989. They're working at the same restaurant, I guess. Wow. And they played in um, some bands and they met this guy, Rick Ivan Isevich. That's how I'm going to say that. Uh, he started playing with them and then they went through a couple drummers. Uh, the original drummer was Chuck Coombs. Combs, he left. Then they had Fred Nelson, uh, who was a co-worker of theirs. Uh, he played on the EP and then shrinking the blob and then he did not play i guess on this record it was jonathan mover is the drummer for this record and he's like a like a real dude in terms of he's played with um steve hackett from genesis he was in his band oh wow and he played with uh or he played in um gtr which was the band of steve hackett and um Steve Howe from Yes. He was the drummer in that band. Um, he's also played with Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. 
Um, he has been the touring guitarist for Saigon Kick. And uh, he's also played with uh, Alice Cooper. <laughs> mm. So he's had some, he's had, he, I mean, the guy's successful. So he, he's the drummer on this record. Um, and like I mentioned, uh, Why I'm Here was the big single. It went to number seven on the, I've never heard of this chart before, the U.S. Bubbling Under Hot 100 singles. <laughs> the hell is that? <laughs> Freaking hell is that? Number seven. That, that sounds made up. It does. Uh, U.S. Alternative Airplay, number 13. U.S. Mainstream Rock, number three. And uh, some year-end charts that did pretty well uh, as well. And that was released in, in January of 99, just before the record uh, came out. And this album was produced by Stephen, Stephen Hagler. Hagler, who you probably know from some records, um, Sunburn by Fuel, As Good as Dead by Local H, Slip by Quicksand. Uh, he's worked with Clutch, The Pixies, Throwing Muses, Bob Mold. He's got a he's got a nice resume. Yeah, he's done a he's done a couple Pixies, couple Local H. Um, I'm not sure if he did more than one Fuel. Did he do something like Human? I don't remember. It just says sunburn in his on his wiki page, but that's probably not the full. List yeah, I could definitely has. see why they recruited him for the sound, though, because he is a master of the grunge, post grunge, modern rock sound of the 90s. So, so I don't think that they get mentioned in the in the documentary, but they did play at Woodstock 99. Um, they did probably best not to get mentioned in the Woodstock 99 documentary. I don't think that's a flattering thing mm -hmm. for most of the people in that documentary uh not, not there, career, were, there were some there were some great performances during yeah. the stock 99 um that are kind of overshadowed by the you know by what happened and especially on saturday and sunday but i think they played friday and friday was cool it was friday afternoon it was hot but i wasn't there i did watch it on pay-per-view but um yeah they had a nice little afternoon set before you know the rioting and the fires began and they toured with creed and our lady peace for this record when it came out that's a that's a pretty big bill when uh you know our lady peace had had a already had a this big was, record this was their bob rock record wasn't it where they wanted super i want to say no not yet no this not was yet happiness yeah oh okay um they yeah i'm trying to remember clumsy was 97 and then happiness was 99 so they had not gone to gravity's not until 2002 after spiritual machines that's when I gave up. <laughs> yeah, that's Bad. when um, the guitarist had left the band. What was his name? Mike Turner. Mike Turner. Yeah, he had left the band by then, and they had Steve come on for Gravity. Um, but yeah, this was, believe it or not, 99. I had a lot of friends. I mean, I liked the first Creed record. By the second record, I was kind of not into it much anymore. Um, and my buddy asked me if I wanted to go see them with Our Lady Peace and Oleander, and the openers sold me on that ticket. I was like... Well, yeah, that's going to be great. You know, Oleander and Our Lady Peace are there. Even if Creed bores me to death, it's still going to be worth the ticket. So we went to the Palace of Auburn Hills and saw that show. Um, so we got some comments over at our Patreon page. We'll share the poll results at the end. But let's, what did people say? Richard Waterman said, right in my 1999 wheelhouse, it is basically generic post-grunge rock, but it does it quite well. Down When I'm Loaded and I Walk Alone are really catchy seven-song EP rating. Kyle Bittner said, the cover looks so familiar that I thought I knew this album front to back, but nope. 
unless I listened to it and found it so generic that I forgot about it, which is pretty much what happened this time as well. The only song that sounded familiar was Why I'm Here, and I thought it was a silver chair song. Decent single for me. Um, Ian McIver said this became background music to me and I couldn't distinguish it from elevator music if I tried nothing to make me want to go back and listen to it for a second. Listen, decent single. Okay. Willie Dillon, listening to this album again after some time, I don't think it holds up super well. Their most well-known song, Why I'm Here, is probably their best in my opinion, but parts of it are pretty clear ripoff of another little band you guys might have heard called Nirvana. It has some nice flourishes and the short guitar solo is pretty solid, but a lot of the rest of the album suffers from too much generic mediocrity. I actually think their third album is the strongest. That's the one that you mentioned, right? Unwind. Unwind's well, major label Unwind's a second. Third one is, I'm not oh. sure how, you, how you're looking at it, but February Sun's the first major one. Unwind would be the second. Joyride would be the third. Joyride's Joyride, a solid record it. too. Got it. That was an 03. Um, anyway, better EP for me. Mike Bankhead said I had this on CD at one point. I don't remember any more than a couple of songs. Considering that I still remember all of the lyrics to most of the CDs I bought in this time period. It's a bad sign. I voted better EP for that reason alone. Maybe a re-listen will change my mind. And Gavin said hard to rate as it was okay. A bit generic power chord for me, but I still kind of like the songs and I didn't dislike any. So it's an EP. I could have sworn this has been reviewed already. Um, no, I don't know what would have been close to this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. what. Yeah, this done. is the only Oleander that fits in the dig me out time frame because right. it came out the last year of the 90s. I'll have a think on that. Try to figure out what he's what he, what maybe he's uh, comparing it to. But Jay, how about we talk about yeah. this record? Tell me one Let's thing you liked it. about February Sun by Oleander. I think we need to like start off the comments primed it a bit, but start off just level setting like this is not a band trying to like rewrite rock and roll like they're just they they seem very comfortable in what they are capable of and they're trying to make the most of it and you know i think the feels like the intent here was pretty clear you know to write commercial radio friendly rock music so let's like let's just all settle on that we're gonna go deep on like what that means and like within that space i think there's bands that are good and there's bands that are really good and there's bands that are terrible um i i really heard i heard some real energy here i guess I, I was expecting being so familiar with the band name and the album cover and knowing they were on the radio and it was sort of like the end of the 90s when this stuff was kind of dying out i was expecting something a little less inspired a little less fire but I really did like the the rawness here. They're, they're, while these songs are polished and from a songwriting standpoint, a dynamic standpoint, you know, the tones are pretty fuzzy. They got a really cool, like big punchy drum sound with, with some reverb on there. And you know, it's it's really, I think, nailing the, you know, take the 90s fuzz guitar tone and combine it with some big, big drums. And put that around some pretty solid melodic rock songs. And, and I think that's essentially what the package is. So I thought they were in their, they're in their best element when, you know, they're just a straightforward hard rock band. Uh, I think you'll find out down when I'm loaded, I walk alone. 
lost cause and shrinking the blob or some of those tracks that stood out to me is like just living in that space, like just executing well on like, Hey, we're going to write radio friendly, you know, fun, high energy, slightly edgy rock songs. Um, and then I also really appreciate that there's a lot they're doing here with dynamics um, to make the songs that are fairly straightforward and simple. I don't think that from a chord standpoint here, there's anything going on that's groundbreaking or mind bending, but they are taking these simple songs that have strong hooks and really, I think putting some time into like how dynamic, how we can present this dynamically. So keep people interested, make it sound unique and um, engaging a lot of layer guitars you know, <clears throat> using fuzz on top of fuzz on top of fuzz. Like on stupid. Yeah. <laughs> there's some, some cool clean guitar tones. There's also a lot of effects on here. Um, guitar effects that play an important part. Lots of overdubs. A lot of like little strumming accents, you know, either stopping or doing like palm muting, kind of like string rakes. Uh, the vocal also does a lot to, you know, Solid singer, not like an incredible range, but doing enough here to like bring some emotion and have some variety, some nice pre-choruses in terms of the way that the songs develop and build in the chorus. So, you know, I think just what I like is a band that knows what they are. They seem like they've really worked on these songs and honed them and, and got them as, you know, solid as they can get them and just deliver as you know straightforward good straightforward melodic rock songs so that's what works for me how about you tim i agree with you a lot and i especially the energy aspect because i feel like a lot of the bands that were influenced by early grunge when they miss the mark it's because they go like slow and they drag and stuff it feels really really tired Whereas I liked what this band did. I, I mean, obviously the Nirvana is the touchstone, but there is as much bleach influence on this as there is Nevermind and In Utero, which I appreciated because bleach, to be honest, is my most re-listenable Nirvana album. And tracks like you mentioned the opener, you'll find out. I also like the closer, Never and Never Again. has a great melodic guitar solo it's short but it follows the melody of the vocal which is a very power pop thing to do i expect that from a from a weezer album i don't expect that from a nirvana record although i guess kurt cobain occasionally would do that as well before you leave that song that's that's amazing because 
I picked up on the power pop vibe of that song too. I was thinking Rick Springfield when that okay. song starts off. I was like, Whoa. yeah, that could totally be like an 80s song ever again. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're, we're on the same page about that one. And there's there's a there is a lot of energy on this record, not just in terms of volume and and yelling or 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 you know vocal performance, but in, in terms of up tempo songs, which I greatly appreciate because the mid tempo slow stuff was so tired at this point. Um, his vocal is. Yeah, it's close to uh, a lot of other vocalists, but he does a good job of finding little hooks here and there that make the songs memorable. So when I was going through it, you know, second, third, fourth time, it's like, okay, totally remember this song. Like that hook is working. Um, It's not complicated. Like you said, I mean, none of these things are, none of these songs are like groundbreaking, but they're all, you know, hat tip of the hat to Stephen Hagler everything sounds good like yeah. this this is a good sounding record in terms of yeah it sounds like the 90s but it sounds like the 90s that I am comfortable with jamming to yeah um if I heard this you know on I guess it would be a classic rock station now uh <laughs> I would not turn it off the way I would turn off like there are certain songs like like I don't ever want to hear um you know, certain like, like Black Hole Sun. I never heard, need to hear Black Hole Sun again. Yeah. I never need to hear like, you know, just certain songs that are just so tired um, because of that like dirge that mm-hmm. a lot of bands would lean on for the heaviness. Um, as far as, you know, what's interesting is this is the second album in a row where somebody has borrowed the intro to uh Shape Box it was with the with Just to Brazil. <laughs> he did it on I Type for Miles and then Why I'm Here definitely has that I don't know if anybody can ever cleanly pick a four chord um uh power chord progression anymore without getting that comparison. Um I'm not sure what the first notes are in term what, what the first chord is, but at this point, nobody should do that, which is, <laughs> and if you are going to do it, don't combine it with rim shots. Yes. Leave the rim <laughs> shots alone. That said, the rest of the song, once you get past that intro part, it's a really good single. It may, it made sense. It makes sense to me listening back like, oh, okay. I see this, why, why this connected, even though I was a little bit disconnected from what was happening with radio and MTV yeah. and stuff at this time. Like I still knew that song because it was, it's catchy as hell, um, which is, you know, that's not easy to do. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed this record from the perspective of, I never gave it a chance when it came out. I just ignored it because I was so over, I was just, I was not interested in anything that was grunge related by this point. I like you, I had moved on to other things, Jay, that were not grunge and not Seattle because of, was kind of burnt out yeah. on all that, but now listening back to this and like, okay, this, this was, this was worth, uh, you know, a radio airplay and, and half a million units getting moved. I can totally understand that. Dewey, you said, uh, you know, this is not your favorite of the band, but it's up there. So what works for you on this record? 
Well, um, yeah, so this is, I actually saw them open. I want to tell a quick story about how I was introduced to them. Um, I know earlier we talked about their their beginnings. Um, so I was living in Toledo at the time in 1999 and Collective Soul were coming. And if any of our listeners may have heard my Collective Soul Discipline Breakdown episode, I highly recommend it. Uh, but they were coming to Toledo in 1999. They were actually playing the Peristyle Theater at the Toledo Museum of Art, which... Oh. I don't know if there's been many rock shows there. I think there's been maybe two or three ever, but uh, yeah, they, they were coming in. Oleander was the opening band and they had their single why I'm here was all over uh, 106.5 in Toledo that year. You couldn't turn on the radio and not hear that song that summer. It was the biggest, one of the biggest songs of, of that summer. So I was looking forward to seeing them because I really liked that song and they came out and they started with where were you then? Uh, which has this really, really, fast hook and it really sucked me in and their set was nonstop, pretty much just fast aggressive heavy uh really really enjoyed it and when their 45 minute set was over i remember like i have to get this cd like i'm i have to get this record um they really impressed me so yes yeah, so that was my introduction to oleander and i eventually got the cd and uh loved it the only the only thing that i mean boys don't cry i'm not the biggest cure fan um, but I, I like the song, but it's one of the, some, sometimes it'll come up on shuffle when I'm listening to like nineties rock and I'll skip it just because it's, I think the rest of the record is better than their cover. Um, but it was a pretty, I think it was a single in Europe. I think it mm -hmm. did pretty well for them. Um, but yeah, so that was my introduction to them. Um, uh, I did go back and listen to the record. It's, I go back to Oleander every now and then because they're one of my favorite bands from the late 90s early 2000s that were a little underrated in my opinion they had a couple songs that were pretty big on radio but most people forgot about them um, they had a song called Are You There in 2001 that was I mean that was not as big as Why I'm Here but it got a lot of play um, that year and some people may or may not remember it but they're just one of those bands that kind of got swept under the rug after you know after the um the post grunge era kind of faded on modern rock radio. And I always thought they were, uh, you know, worth going back and listening to. And um, yeah, this record is great. I, I just love the, the loud guitars. I love the energy. Uh, I think Jay kind of hit a lot of what I was thinking when I was going to speak, there's just a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of aggression in their, in their music. And uh, it sounds great. I thought Stephen did a great job, but by 1999, he was already a master of recording these types of bands. If you look at his, uh, if you look at his uh, his all music page where he where he's got the credits for all the records he worked on, mm -hmm. and it's no question why this sounds as good as it does. I mean, when he worked on it. So, and I, I haven't gone back and listened to Shrinking the Blob in probably over 10 years. So I I do remember it was more of a lower fi sound. But um, they really knocked it out of the park with this one. I, I thought it. I thought everything was great with this. So yeah, I do agree with you on the boys don't cry cover. I, it's a fine thing, but I feel like you would put that on a soundtrack or you would put that as a B side for a single or something like that.
I don't understand. I maybe you're just like, well, if nothing hits, we could release this as a single. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine and nineteen ninety eight, there were so many movie soundtracks that that would have been great for a submission on. Right, you know? and I believe they did on the next record. Um, they have a song that was in the on the American Pie two soundtrack, and I think they've been on other soundtracks as well. Yeah, they have a relationship, I think, with the producers of American Pie, because if you watch the first one, the the most popular American Pie, you mm-hmm. can hear I Walk Alone playing at a party, which oh. when I remember seeing it, I was like, oh, my God, that's Oleander. And it's like, shut up, Dewey. I'm like, all right. But anyway, they're, they're played, but they're not on the American Pie soundtrack. American Pie 2 came out and they submitted a song called Bruise to the soundtrack. They decided to play the song in the movie during a scene i think on the beach but they did not release it on the actual soundtrack so as an oleander fan in the early 2000s that was like when are we going to hear the full song because all we ever got was 30 seconds in american pie 2 we didn't hear the song in full until the band leaked it like in 2010 or 11 they put it up on their website but nobody heard that full song until years and years later it's called bruise that's so, weird. yeah that's the history with american pie yeah very weird Jay, what doesn't work for you on this record? Well, I'll echo the cover. I don't, it doesn't feel, from a listener standpoint, it doesn't feel necessary to the record. Um, I don't think it does anything to elevate the song or make it more any more interesting than the original. I do, can, I, I, I do understand it from, from a business standpoint. It, it's on a first major label record in particular, it's not a bad idea to throw a cover on there. Um, so I kind of get that, but I could lose it. I I think the to me, the, the only song in here that really rubs me the wrong way is why I'm here. I just think it's so Nirvana. Like I understand like the rest of the record has the spirit that Nirvana brought to music. I think there's an energy there. There's a tone there's a sensibility that just sounds like a Nirvana song to me, not just the guitar intro, but even the way he sings sounds different on that song. His phrasing is different on that song. His voice tone sounds different. It's just too Nirvana. My whole perception of this record would probably be significantly more positive that that song wasn't on this record. Um, Hmm. No, I know that was their hit and that would be stupid, but in hindsight, sticking that right in the middle you go from like hey this this band kind of has some you know nirvana vibes going on to oh shit this is a nirvana song can you so at that, least appreciate the string arrangement that was put on that song or is it that felt still like, well that, is, then it then it felt like oh they're doing nirvana unplugged <laughs> it's just too it's okay too, it's too nirvana for me i i, I get the i get the nirvana because it's got that quiet loud it's got that uh the intro that we mentioned the four chord sure. intro. so i i get it i get it completely even listen to the way he sings the verse like those the the he draws out those words and like he doesn't sound like that on the rest of the record like that is a to me a very clear bit of a nirvana song mm-hmm. um, so i that, always that, thought that, i walk alone was a stronger single myself but it didn't chart as high so yeah, to me, like that is more in the space of like a candle box or sponge or something. Like it's it's in a better, you know, more nebulous, defined, ownable kind of just we're just a rock band. Whereas I don't know, 
so that's my biggest my biggest complaint about this record he's just it's just a single i just wish it wasn't I wish it wasn't as big as it was. <laughs> a lot of people would say this is only worth a single for that song, which is funny that you're saying the opposite. I know. But that's cool. I do think I agree with you. I think Walk Alone, in terms of my personal preferences, would be the single I would go with. Yeah. But I think it's like four years too late. Like the, in, in 95, that single, you sell a million copies. Yeah. 99, eh. And, and your shout out of like, Candlebox and that like second wave of grunge mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Like this band sounds more in line with that, but there were aspects of this in the uptempo stuff that reminded me of like Verbena, which had yeah. got a Nirvana tag. Mm-hmm. But that was like you know a, a critic starling, which is end so of the fun. end of the pink was the same year, wasn't it? I think in so. 99? And yeah, it's so interesting record. because they're both doing a Nirvana influenced album. But Verbena was like the cool band yeah. that writers like to write about. <laughs> but Oleander is a they corporate were, band. Yeah, because they were dirty looking and like, right, whatever, more indie or something. Exactly. Plus, I had the female bassist on vocals, which sounded great, too. Yeah, that does help. Yeah. Um, in terms of doesn't what doesn't work, it's just some, when this when the band slows down, I, I start to lose interest a little bit. I really like the up-tempo yeah. stuff or up-tempo stuff or stuff with energy. Like I Walk Alone isn't necessarily a fast song, but it really excels when it the volume turns up. Yeah, the ballad is not it's not compelling to me how could i yeah it's just forget yeah when i when i re-listened to that today i was kind of like oh, oh. i never <laughs> yeah. i don't remember seeing them ever play that song live and i think for a reason so but i don't remember seeing them play never again either which really i would love to have seen but yeah how could i is kind of a sleeper but if you look at the track list like these songs are so catchy and so like you'll find out stupid down when I'm loaded, they're all really strong and really catchy. I mean, that's what hooked me when I saw them live. Um, and it was really fun watching Rick, the lead guitarist, with his pedals and what he was doing. Um, both Thomas and Rick played guitar at the same time on stage, uh, which was a huge, a huge, uh, made their show better, in my opinion. It made it sound much bigger um, live. The one thing that I was a little disappointed with is the opener, you'll find out, it's sort of like, has this space at the beginning and then it kicks in and there's this really weird guitar effect, this like warbling guitar effect. And I was like, Oh, I'm in for some weirdness. And then there's no more weirdness. And I feel like a song like, I remember that doesn't that song like come in and then it stops and then you start singing. Yeah. Like a song, like how could I, 
if you went in a like a uniquely produced direction, I think it could work, but it's so earnest in its production that it just it sounds like a power ballad, a cheesy power ballad. Um, and that doesn't work for me at all. But if you know, cut all the instrumentation out and just have a cello playing, like do something like that, make it sound really unique. Um, you know, give they, it the Eleanor Rigby treatment. Yeah, they did get better on future records with the ballad songs. Um, there's a song called Halo that's beautiful on the next record. Um, that was, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was a single or not. The second record didn't do as well so i don't really remember if there were second or third singles but halo was a wonderful song so they did kind of get better with that as the years went on runaway train in 2003 was another kind of a ballad song so got to give them credit for that i mean it was still early but yeah how could i is if they if they approach it differently maybe it could have been better on record but yeah is there anything that doesn't work for you i know you mentioned how could i give you the yawns but um yeah i mean that one in the cover it's just that part of the record i kind of I mean, it starts off so strong. It's definitely top heavy, this mm-hmm. record. And then it kind of starts losing steam. And then Never Again's a nice surprise at the end. Um, like I said, my favorite record is Unwind, for sure, from these guys. I think that's strong all the way through. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a solid debut, in my opinion. I mean, they were an incredible band live. They toured with so many bands uh, between... They were always an opener between 99 and 2003. Uh, well, 2001, because by 03, they were kind of doing more headlining stuff. But I saw these guys with Collective Soul. I saw them with Three Doors Down. I saw them with Creed. I saw them with Fuel. I saw them with, um, who else did I see them with? They would always be like an opening band at the Toledo Sports Arena, it seems like. I think they may have done two shows back-to-back months opening for bands there. So they were hard to miss during that era, um, but they were always really great live. Um, so. So, yeah, I think part of what helps this record is that they basically recorded some of these songs like three times because they did an EP in 96 um, or maybe not two times, but at least twice because they did the EP. Then they expanded it and released the album Shrieking the Blob in 97. And then they totally re-released this or re-recorded this for the 99 February Sun album and swapped out four songs. Jimmy Shaker Day, Candy Store, Silver Lined, and Half an Ass were on the previous album, and those were replaced. One or maybe O2. And uh, he was coming out of a lot of turmoil in his life around that period. So um, when I'm looking at these song titles, I'm kind of thinking maybe it had to do with some of that that part of his life, you know, especially like Down When I'm Loaded or something, or I Walk Alone or Stupid. You know, you kind of think like maybe that was kind of what he, the kind of, wheelhouse he was in but he definitely had some demons in, in the in the uh in the 90s and early 2000s for those who don't know oleander is is a poisonous plant if you're wondering what that actually was uh and not as i thought oleander like there was also <laughs> a movie called white oleander that came out with michelle pfeiffer a couple years oh yeah. after these records yep. came out but i remember that coming out too and yeah, I never heard of the of the flower before this band. Um, but, and they have flowers on this album cover. I believe the next album cover also has flower on it. And Joyride does not. That has like the rear end of a Mustang. Actually, it looks like it looks like it would be a like Fu Manchu single. That album cover. 
does not look like the rest of the album covers from this band that uses they all use that font no they don't all use that font it's just a kind of close to it on the next record this is also one of the records that when i go back and i think of that period one of the last albums that had cd maxi singles um because i remember i mean i was really into this record in 1999 i wanted to hear everything and uh i remember there was an i walk alone cd single that had like an acoustic version like remixes um but yeah i remember ordering that i remember ordering a live from the Fillmore like four or five track ep that was a promo cd that was also available so this is kind of like the last of that time when those promo cds and cd singles were available for albums that you never see anymore you know yeah i don't think um i'd be curious if they still do those i'm guessing they don't i don't think so and what was the last one like that would be a good trivia question. Like, well, the best the- thing now is I guess they have those record store day, seven inches or whatever that come out, um, which go for insane amounts of money. Like Motley Crue just re-released their Helter Skelter disc from, I think it was 83. And uh, there, it's like $30 for four songs on a picture disc. I'm like, I don't get it, but and I don't know. I'm not a, I love Motley Crue, but I, I just don't get paying that much money for that. No, and I don't understand how they're still touring because they're playing Ohio Stadium with Depp Leopard and Alice Cooper. And I'm like, who's paying to see that? Well, the tickets are only $25 today. Oh, are they now? Yeah, so it might be worth it to see Depp Leopard. I guess it might be. Depp Leopard still sound great. I do want to mention. You can't go to many shows for 25 bucks anymore. No, you can't go to any. If you just go in to have a party, that's a pretty cheap party. It is. Yeah, it is. I think they just went on sale this morning. I got a bunch of emails about it. I was like, oh, I, I checked out the, I saw them on there and some others, but yeah. well, maybe I'll go to that and the free boys to men concert that was just announced. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I did see that too in my email. Yeah. Down in the, down in the, whatever. Yeah. I was really, I was really is. hoping for a rock act and they were like Martina McBride and boys to men. Well, I'm out that till that. You know, hey, so. don't no yeah. diss in Motown Philly here. That's uh, a, yeah. that's a classic. Uh, Let's get to our let's get to our overall ratings on this. I'll share the patrons very interesting breakdown of votes. But Jay, where do you land? Is it a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single? I came into this record with very low expectations. And I'm walking away with a worthy album. Hey, all right. Oh. I really wish, you know, listen, really listening to this for the first time in 2023, I think the record would be better if why I'm here was not on it, but it is as it is. Um, I can, I can forgive the cover, even though it be, I think also doesn't need to be here. And the ballad is just kind of boring. But other than that, look again, not rewriting music here, right? This is just, I think solid late nineties, a lot of card rock. And did why am did why am here bother you back in nineteen ninety nine, or did you I just? I don't even know that I paid attention to it. Oh, it did, I didn't recognize the song, so um, it just sounded like a generic Nirvana ish song, right? Um, so, and I I, I completely remember ninety nine in terms of. Just not even paying attention to. Yeah, I was tuned out of the radio at that point. 
Yeah, right. I, I was like shifting to reading the big takeover and yep. enemy and and stuff that was like anything that was not american at that point it was like the the helicopters and the manic street preachers and just getting out of that whole like that whole scene yeah um i'm at a where i'm at where i'm at a better ep i'm real close to a worthy album but I, i'm at a better ep um i think i'm at seven songs and that's pretty close but so let me let me think what songs don't work for you so how could i probably yes boys don't cry yes um hmm. i know you like never again what are the other two songs that don't work for i don't you? like stupid okay uh, i get that just because it's, cause it's repetitive and yeah. generic um and i love the, the riff and stupid more than the more than the chorus i didn't care for down when i'm loaded um, oh, okay. That was not so it's only four songs. So we're pretty close, but I would I would be at a better EP. Do we? I'm at a worthy record. I'm like I said, there's really only two songs that I could do without. So and I still unless I'm unless I'm shuffling, which I, I do a lot. I, I don't I'm one of the old only people that probably don't stream. I shuffle my MP3s that are on my hard drives and I just go through everything. Like sometimes I do that. I also do that in my car. Like I have 20 gigs of music in USB in my car. I just hit shuffle and whatever comes up, I listen to because hmm. it's more exciting to me to listen to that than to listen to the radio. You know, there's nothing so, exciting on the radio. Yes. So I do that a lot. So sometimes random songs will come up, like, for instance, Boys Don't Cry. And I'm like, eh, skip it, you know. But if I'm listening to the record in full, I'll listen to it. But it's just one of those songs that just, as we covered this two or three times already, it just doesn't do much for me. Um, but as an album as a whole, I think it's great. And I think it really needs a reissue on vinyl because it did sell a lot of units. And it, if it does get a repressing, it will sell. So I, I really hope that this, as came out with, break, with Discipline Breakdown a year after our review, I hope that this will get looked at by Universal and they'll put it back out on because it never got released on vinyl. So I think no, I'm looking at that. And there was only just cassette and CD. Yeah. So I'm so surprised. I think this would be a great one. Verpipe Villain just got released. Another one we covered. So maybe I have some, some magic in, in our, in our reviews here and we're throwing it to the, to the reissue gods that they'll reissue this on vinyl next year. Cause we've had two of mine that have gone to vinyl. So you're putting it, putting it out there. Yes. I'm putting it out into the universe. Well, our patrons were split. 38% were the album, 38% better EP, 23% decent single. We were really close to a 33 mm. and a third uh, down the line there, which would yeah. have been uh, hilarious. Yeah, I was reading some of the comments and I was like, uh-oh, this people, are, people are, aren't really into this one that much. But that's okay, because like I said, by this time... In the late 90s, a lot of people were done with the grunge sound. Yeah. They were just checked out. And I, I completely get it. A lot of those people probably feel that way and probably remember Oleander from that song and thought, I don't want to waste my time. I'm done with this. The sound is over, you know? Not me. I, I've loved grunge and post-grunge and alternative rock. That's one of my favorite sounds. So I will always wave the flag and I will always be there. Even today, I'll listen to bands that have those sounds like Dinosaur Pileup. And I'm like... Oh my God, this makes me feel like it's the nineties again. And I'm, I'm always happy, you know, but uh, I can definitely get where people were coming from though. Uh, the, I, I don't know how you have, are you using your phone for your MP3s? 
because no matter how many apps I delete off my phone, I never have enough memory to put more than like 20 songs on my, on my phone. I don't know what is being taken up by all that memory. There's a storage app on your phone now that tells you exactly what's taking it up and you can delete all that stuff. It's usually podcasts. <laughs> okay. I'll do that later. I'm not going to do that. While we're on <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah. I just buy those huge ass USB sticks and I just insert it in my car USB and then I can just hit shuffle. And oh, then I, just I, never to re- whatever. I never thought about that. Yeah. I ripped all of my CDs years ago. I still do. Every time I buy a new CD, like here you go. I bought the new Meg Meyer CD recently. It's right here next to my desk and I still rip CDs and I still put them in MP3. I'm probably a rare breed that does that still. Yeah, Cause I don't in have a CD player. I know nobody has CD players anymore, but I still do it. I got the new Metallica on CD right there. See, I didn't buy the vinyl cause it was like insanely priced. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still buy the CDs. I rip them and then I put them on my drive and then I'll drop them on a USB stick and put, and put them in my car. So it's worked uh, out great for me. I'm not going to say the name, but I, I got into an artist recently. So did Jay. And I went to his website to see if what the record would cost. Single vinyl record, $38. Isn't that crazy? $38. Yeah. That's, that's a double <laughs> five years ago. I know. I was like, I want to support artists, but man, I can't justify $38 for, for a single record. That's just. Listen. Yeah. I spent, I spent too much at record store day, but there were artists I had some of my favorite artists that I really wanted their limited stuff that I knew would triple in price if I didn't buy it. So like the new Van Halen live four LP set that came out, I was like, I have to have that. Cause I, I love Van Halen. So, but yeah, it's, it's pretty pricey, but then if you wait and it's an artist you absolutely love and you want to have it, I know it's going to get even higher on discogs the, the years, <laughs> years later. So you can kick yourself now or you can kick yourself I later. I guess. Well, do we thank you for bringing this record to us? and hanging out with us on this Wednesday evening. I want to say one more thing about Thomas Flowers that I wanted to mention earlier, but I I, uh, forgot to mention. So when Oleander disbanded uh, in 2003 after Joyride, um, Thomas Flowers joined a band called, uh, they were called Black Summer Crush, I think. And a friend of a friend of his would send me demos, which I still have on my hard drive. And they sounded very Oleander combined with like 70s rock. Like it was almost like if Oleander met a 70s rock band and they were released and they were recording music. Um, so it was very exciting. I was very excited. This is like in 2004, five, maybe six. Um, no album ever came and the band essentially broke up. But then the band reformed without Thomas and they were called Rival Sons. So anybody who wow. likes Rival Sons. Uh, who wants to hear what they may have sounded like with the guy from Oleander. If you go on YouTube, I put up a song a number of years ago from one of those demos that I got sent. It's called Give Your Life Away. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what he did after Oleander. And then Oleander regrouped um, shortly after that. Wait, so the band was formed around him as the singer instead of Jay? Correct. Yeah, they were originally with him. Wow. and they They were called the Black Summer Crush. And then... I know they recorded like an album's worth of demos or songs that were never properly released. And then he left the band and then rival sons formed from that. So yeah, a little piece of history for anybody that's a fan. Yeah. Interesting. I love that band. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. All right. Well, 
for our listeners, if you would like to be like Dewey, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com and join the union, pick a record. There's all sorts of tiers. There's all sorts of rewards. You can uh, vote in the polls for our monthly tournaments. You can vote in the polls like for this episode. (laughs) There's a dog scratching at the door while I'm doing this. Um, It's also you can read the box newsletter, which is delivered every week via email or at Patreon. Uh, It's our Substack newsletter with new releases every week, a release calendar of 80s, 90s, and aughts relevant music, movies, books, TV shows, all that kinds of stuff. Also at our website is at uh, digmeoutpodcast.com is where you go to suggest albums for our monthly tournaments. Fill out the form, drop an album in there. We'll add it to our 27 album tournament of death each month. 27 enter one leaves. Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for us because we do such a good job and uh, it helps with our low self-esteem. So thank you for the five-star reviews and uh, that's it. For JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.